Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. You'll remember this passage. It's found in John 17. Jesus says this, or says this of him, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, you may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. In Jesus' last prayer, right before he goes to the cross, he is praying and talking about knowing the Father and saying, this is eternal life. If you know me, Jesus is saying that. Knowing Jesus, knowing the Father is eternal life. It really is the one of the things when Jesus died and that veil was ripped from top to bottom in the temple, there was access, spoke of access for men and women with God that hadn't been there like that for a long, long time, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Jesus is about knowing you. And I know this is elementary. I know this is elementary. This is what we talk about a lot, but it can also get kind of put to the side sometimes, this relationship that is supposed to be so rich and robust and full and fully alive can sometimes go a little bit to the wayside or get dampened a bit. And so I want to talk some about our relationship with the Lord today, not just knowing about God only. We want to know about him. We want to know his ways. We want to learn. We want to dive in, dig in, read the scriptures, have those in our hearts. We don't just want to know about him, though. I want to know him. Every bit of our learning should be a diving board into knowing him, where we jump into the pool of knowing God. Paul's concern when the apostle Paul was walking around, got converted, leads so many people to the Lord, starts all these churches, he's overseeing these churches. Then he writes this letter to the Corinthians. Uh, and the Corinthian church was... Uh, a, a, well, Corinth was the largest city in Greece. It was a center of trade. There's a lot going on there. People from all different cultures and ethnicities there in the city. And they had, were serving, or if they, weren't, if they didn't know the Lord, um, the people of Corinth served and worshiped the goddess Aphrodite of love, beauty, sex, pleasure. That was the the goddess that they worshipped. Uh, and in that city was the, ho- they were hosting the, I think it's called the Isthmus Games. And so just next to the Olympic Games, these games were, sports were a big deal in the city. But a lot of perversion. But the Corinthian church had, growing up in God, they were the ones probably moving in the gifts of the Spirit as much as any of the churches. And in fact, when you read the Corinthians, the letters to the Corinthians, Paul is saying, uh, man, yeah, even more so, be stirred up 
go after these gifts of the Spirit because other people are being encouraged and built up by it. So he's even encouraging them more so. But at the same time, he has a concern for the Corinthians. And he's stated really plainly here as Paul writes a letter to be delivered to the Corinthians. He didn't get to do it in person, but he wrote this letter. And here's what he says. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 through 6. And you'll hear me talk about this quite a bit. He says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. There are different kinds of jealousy. This one's a godly kind. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So he sees part of his role is to present the body of believers that he's leading to Jesus, to present them to him with a purity in heart so that they are all the way the Lord's, are all the way owned by Jesus. Then he says, verse 3, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So he says, I have a concern that in all the things going on in your city and everything going on in your surroundings and your culture, that you would be led astray from two things, simplicity and purity to a devotion to Jesus personally. There's so many distractions. There's so many things trying to... uh, get that to be leached away and that we would, you know, be deluded. And then he says, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, not the Holy Spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. That's not a compliment. And he's saying, you're you're bearing this beautifully. In other words, your mind is so open, your brain has fallen out, and you're listening to everything that everyone is saying. And you're just beautifully receiving what every other doctrine and all these other gospels, so-called, you're just open to whatever. So it's a rebuke in a sense. It's a concern that he has. You shouldn't be this open to all this. He said, for I consider myself not the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, But even if I'm unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. So part of the mission of the Apostle Paul was to not only be an influence and lead and shepherd these people, but to present them to Jesus, wholly devoted to the Lord. But there are so many other distractions. There are so many other gospels. I love, personally, history. I love knowledge. I so enjoy learning. I'm always, I feel like I'm a student in life, and I think you probably all feel the same. We're just learning about so many things. I'm thankful for the internet, that I can search things that I never knew anything about. And quickly, and in fact, I can fix stuff I could never fix before, just pulling up YouTube. I can, someone has fixed that thing before, and they're going to show me how to do it. There's so many things to learn, so many things in the scriptures, goodness sakes. Uh, You could just, forever, we will be learning and growing in the word and the words of God and what it really means. And you read something a thousand times and the thousand and first time you read it, it's brand new. You see stuff you've never seen before. It's amazing. So we want to always continue to learn, grow in understanding, grow in the, the scriptures. But what 
sometimes happens is that the enemy, through his craftiness, will try and twist the words of Jesus, even in the temptations of Jesus. So interesting. He takes Scripture and tries to trick Jesus into some stuff by twisting it. So he's always doing those kind of things. And we have to make sure that nothing is elevated above Jesus and his kingdom in our minds or our hearts. There's no special theology. There's no special understanding. There's no special group of people. There's, no, there's nothing that is supposed to be elevated above my, the simplicity and the purity of my devotion to Jesus, right? And in a complicated world with lots of distractions and a lot of intellectualism, we can tend to go for knowledge that is above what I just said. And that's always going to be a temptation because that's how the enemy works. He doesn't have any new tricks. He does the same things over and over and over, just like he was doing with Eve. With Eve, he was trying to cause doubt in her heart toward God so she would not trust God. And she needed to take matters into her own hands. That was the trick that he used. He will do the same to us today. You can't trust God fully. You got to figure this out on your own. And then there's some special knowledge. Oh, oh, then you go that way. And next thing you know, my simplicity and purity of devotion has vanished. So the enemy's always trying those things. And so the, I want all of us to always be aware of it. To always be aware of it. To be on our guard from the things that the enemy wants to send. That are, He's twisting things. He's trying to change things. Trying to get us to cool off our devotion to Jesus. Just get that a little bit cooler. Not so, not so passionate. Chill out. Right? No. We, we've got to stay. Simplicity. I love that. It's not just for the rocket scientists. The simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. Let's stay so connected to him and not put too much weight on a lot of other knowledge-based things that could be a distraction. So this was Paul's concern about them. We want to love all, be loving to all people, but we need to be intolerant of every teaching that contradicts or twists the gospel, right? I don't want to tolerate. We should be tolerant of people, but intolerant of crazy thinking, right? Yeah, it, yeah you know. You know what I'm saying, right? You could be labeled as an intolerant person because you don't accept crazy thinking. That doesn't mean you're an intolerant person. I want to, man, we need to love every person. Love every person. But not believe things that are contrary to what the Bible says. Contrary to the gospel of the kingdom. We need to actually be very firm with that stuff. Very firm. That's Paul's concern, that you would be open to things that are craziness. It would get you off track. There are certain things we absolutely have to be intolerant toward. Things that would separate us from our devotion to Jesus. Those mindsets. Let me give you a handful of them. One of them is um, what would be labeled hyper-grace teaching movement that Jesus paid for all of your sins, which he did, 
into the future, which he has, but that means you can live however you want to because it's already covered. You just sin away. That is a that would be a teaching that is out there. There are a lot of books about that kind of stuff. And it's dangerous because there is accountability in our lives for how we live. It's not this, just that I just do what I feel like doing and then it's just going to be covered. Everything's going to be okay. That is a false teaching. That's the kind of thing Paul was concerned about. Don't be living like the world and doing the things that the world does, assuming that the blood of Jesus just covers it. It's all right, right? So we need to be intolerant of that type of, of thing, of teaching. Um, there are some teachings related to the primary focuses on theology, on knowledge. Primary, primary, not on relationship with God. Now, that's a little tricky one because we do want to grow in theology, have that sound clear in our hearts and minds. But it cannot replace my devotion to the person of Jesus, my relationship with him, right? I can't let this rule, not just knowledge, but knowledge, again, should be a diving board to experience with Jesus, with knowing him, with my relationship with him. So important. And then there are ones that are self-focused teachings, all about you, your purpose, your success, I'm about your purpose too, and your success. But if that is the focus of our gospel, is your success and fulfilling, just doing your purpose, what you want to do, that can be a twist away from my devotion to Jesus. Because some of the things that Jesus is going to lead you and I into are, as he says, dying daily. Hello. Right? If anyone wants to follow me, got to take up his cross and die daily. So it's not always about you, right? So there's a twist on the gospel that can be about you and just all that you want. And it's all about, oh, God is just all about your success and whatever you want to do. He is about your success, but he has a plan for you that may be different than yours, right? And that is the plan that he wants to be successful in your life. So you can see these twists that can come in that the enemy tries to get us to get separated from my simple devotion to Jesus. And it can become about me. When, so, when anything gets self-focused, look out, right? When I don't get my way and then I throw a fit, there's something wrong in me, right? If, and I, in my immaturity, I will tell you, in my immaturity, I was that way for a while in church when I was fully expecting the pastor to treat me a certain way because of my gifts and all this stuff. And when he didn't, I was offended. When he didn't give me a place in ministry that I felt like I deserved because of what I'd done, I was offended. That's because it was about me. I was not thinking in the right way. I'd accepted a false teaching in my heart. And the Lord, well, that's a long story, but he undid me in a good way. Then there's the kind of the universalism type of teachings that all paths lead to God. So it doesn't matter. You just shoot, pick a religion. Just pick one, go for it, and it's all going to get there at the same way, same time, however, no problem. Not true, right? What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one can come to the Father except through me. One way. He's the path. He's the path. He's the way. He's the only God who's died for us. Right? Given his life for us. So any teaching that are, there are multiple, multiple ways, you just be a good person. Just be a good person. Just be nice. And then all will get, we'll get to the same place. It's just wrong. It would be nice if that was the case. It's not. It's not. And there's such a value. God has such a value for truth. For truth. He is truth. He has a way. And it really is his way. We've got to hold fast. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, which he gives some, basically some theology of what this is about. This is about God sending his son to die for us. He, was, he died. He was buried. He rose again. He was resurrected. The Spirit of God now lives on the inside of us. And then he says, hold fast to that. Hold fast to that. Don't open your mind up to crazy teachings, twisted things, self-based things, things that are not from God. Hold fast to the right things. And Paul, of course, he was brilliant, probably the smartest guy in any room he found himself in, right? Yet, it was important to him that everything that he needs, experiences with God, his understanding of the scriptures, that all that was translated into people getting connected with God. I love that. I love that. He, everything he did was translated to help people connect with God, to present the body of Christ, those that he was responsible for, as a pure virgin to Jesus. Because ultimately, they are the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. He wasn't just talking about, and he says that too in another passage, you know, I'm, I'm giving you milk. I'd love to be talking about meaty stuff. But I'm talking about milk because it's what you need. It's what Paul was saying. He wanted, to just, he wanted to talk about other stuff. He wanted to go deeper in some ways, but it wasn't the best for the people he was leading, that he was writing to. And so he was looking out for our connection with the Lord. And I believe that, you know, the mandate of every leader, every Christian leader, is to help people personally connect with Jesus. I, I had this experience. I've shared this with you before, but the Lord really brought this home to me, starting with my wedding date, my wedding day, uh, I was standing up front with my groomsmen waiting for my wife to step into the aisle at the back. And then there she was, there in her dress with her brother. My wife's parents uh, were killed in a car accident when she was 11. So she didn't have a dad there to walk her down the aisle, so her oldest brother did, Dave. And there's Dave and Debbie at the aisle, and man, your heart is overwhelmed when you see her. You've been waiting for this day for a long, long time. And there's her brother looking straight at me. <laughs> and he's very stiff. And he, I mean, he's focused, laser-like focused on me. Like this. My wife, arm in his arm, the exact opposite. Hi, everybody, all the way down the aisle. Good to see you. So glad you came to the wedding. She is all over the place, right? And Dave is, whoom. He's got one job. He's ready to get it done. And so he takes her, joyful Debbie, brings her to me, shakes my hand, puts her hand in my hand, and then he backs away. 
And the Lord spoke to me after that. And it was basically this. He said, Dave is what every leader should be. Their job is to get the hand of the bride into the hand of Jesus and then stand back and support that relationship. Not get in between. I did not want Dave on our honeymoon with us. Let him stay in Ohio. We're going to Bermuda. That's what we did, right? But sometimes in the body of Christ, leaders think they kind of got to be God for people. No. Get in between. No. We are called to support and talk about, like we're doing today, your relationship with Jesus. How can your relationship with Jesus personally get better? What things need to be taken away? What things need to be added? How can we get to know him more? I want you to know him so well where we all have overflowing stories about what God is saying and doing in our lives. It's so powerful, it's so real. When crisis comes, you've got the reality of experience with God in addition to his word that you can stand on, believe in, trust in. So what does it look like to have simple, pure devotion to Jesus? You know, there are many things to love in this life. A lot of things we're supposed to love. A lot of things we get to love. We get to love, or we're supposed to love people, right? Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and then love others, love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. So we get to love people. Then there's all kinds of hobbies. People have old cars they love. Football, shopping, the arts, fishing, golf, playing music, traveling, the beach, movies, reading, gardening, lots of different things that you can, you can love. But devotion to Jesus means that I love him more than all those other things, right? Not that I don't like those things. But several things on those lists I really enjoy, actually. But I want to make sure that my devotion to Jesus sits above those. That those things don't drive how I'm living and what I do on every day, not just Sunday. But my devotion to Jesus is the driver, the leader of this. My heart for him, my love for him, my passion for him, that my passion for him would be greater than my passion for the other things in the world that are nice things and great things and fun things. So about 30 years after Paul was converted, five years before, somewhere in there, five years before he died. So toward the end of his life, he wrote down his purpose. He talked about the purpose for his life. Toward the end of his life, here's what he says, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to read this in uh, the Amplified. Adds a little more understanding here. It says, For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in the, that same way 
come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. That's a beautiful mission statement, life statement there. To know God, to know the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship of his sufferings. How did Jesus suffer? He was rejected. He was beaten. He was abused. People didn't believe in him. He wasn't believed. All those things. Paul, of course, had shared in many sufferings of Jesus. Beaten, abused, not believed, rejected, bobbing around in the ocean through shipwrecks, beaten with sticks, stones, left for dead, all of those things. Some of us, probably all of us in here, haven't endured any of those to the degree that Paul has. But he said, I want to share in those sufferings. There's something powerful in sharing in the suffering that Jesus went through. When I share with those, it's like I'm identifying with him and getting closer to him in the middle of it. Pretty amazing. And so when we suffer, when we are rejected, when you are um, rejected from family members, people at work, people decide to hate you for what you believe in your faith and your love for Jesus, you are sharing in some of the sufferings of Jesus. That's a time to also say, yeah, this is part of my goal. If I'm like Paul here, that's, this is part of it. This is a good thing. This isn't a bad thing. It hurts, but it's, it's wonderful. I get to share in the sufferings. The first, cent, first, second, third century believers, oh, you know, this was a big deal for them right there, sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. They were anticipating that. When they met the Lord, they knew, okay, this is what comes with this. I'm probably going to die physically, not just dying daily to myself. I'm probably going to die physically. In fact, I may get tortured. I might get uh, taken to the Colosseum, eaten by a lion. Whatever it's going to happen, I'm going to share in the sufferings of Jesus. It was foremost. Uh, a lot of times in our mentality, we don't have that because we don't suffer in the same way. But we don't want to be so avoiding rejection by others that we hold to a false gospel right? We need to be able to suffer in that sense, to be rejected. You know, if you're a salesperson and you're going to sell an item, you should probably just get out there and have several people reject you right off the bat, just to get used to how that feels and press through it, right? If you're going to be a good salesman, you're going to have to deal with rejection. And same with our faith. We're going to love him. We're not looking to be rejected, but when it happens, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep loving him and keep smiling at these people and forgiving them, all of those things. So I want to talk now just real briefly about some daily things that we can do be and, and maybe enact or add to our lifestyle that relate to being devoted to Jesus. I like to make everything we can say practical as well. So in the natural, just told you about my wife. Few things that daily that we will do to be healthy is I we we talk. We talk. It would be really weird if we went a whole day and never said a word to each other. Right? For a marriage. That's just that'd be weird. Unless you planned on that, you know. If you planned on that, that's one thing. 
You're going to fast, pray, and not talk. Okay, that's, have at it. But for a healthy relationship, you need to talk to one another. There needs to be communication every single day. Um, I call my wife in the middle of the day at some point. Every day, I'm at least going to call one time just to see how she's doing and what's going on. So I'm adding communication in the front, in the middle, toward the end. Hopefully, we'll get the evening together as well. So there's more communication throughout the day. I also make sure in, the, in my physical relationship with my wife that I'm not allowing any other woman in my thoughts to settle or to dominate so I think about her instead of my wife. So I'm going to be intolerant. I'm going to be very intolerant of other women settling in my heart and mind. Right? That makes sense. So I'm preferring her, my wife, above every other person. That's important. I want to love everybody, but I'm not going to let things land where I'm thinking about them more than, more than her. I don't want to do that so that I can keep my marriage healthy because I love her. And in our physical lives, to stay healthy for your body, you're going to do several things. You're going to breathe, <laughs> right? You're going to eat food. You're going to drink. Hopefully lots of water. Sleep. You got to sleep. You're also going to work. It's important to work. You're going to communicate with people. So how does that translate to my devotion to Jesus? Let me mention just a few things. These, this isn't exhaustive. This is just some things that I was thinking about that I do to try and keep my devotion to the Lord above every other devotion. One of them is, just like with my wife, talk with God. It's also called prayer. But if you just make it very practical, just talking with God. Think of the first, first thing you do when you wake up, last thing you do when you go to sleep, and throughout the day, I call my wife. We can call upon the Lord. We can talk to him. Lord, how's it going this morning? Jesus, how are you feeling? Of course, we know he's feeling great. But it is exchange. What's going on? What's on your heart? Which goes to the second part of listening. Talking to him, but also listening. You know, when Jesus took his three guys up on the Mount of Transfiguration, as it's called, when the Father spoke, they were expecting to build a monument to memorialize this experience. The Father said to them, listen to Jesus. Listen to my son. That was, that was the words that, that the Father gave everyone following Jesus was listen to him. And that, if I'm going to be devoted to him, I need to not just talk. I also need to listen. If I only talk to my wife and I never listen, think about that for a second. If I only talk and never listen, it'd be a, that would not be called a marriage. That would not be a healthy relationship. And it's the same with the Lord. If I'm devoted to him, then I'm also devoted to listening to him. What is it that you're saying? Ask the Lord questions. Jesus, what are you thinking about right now? What would you like me to do today? Who would you like me to encourage? What would you like me to give? You know, what, just listen. Or what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? Those kind of things and taking a few minutes to, to just listen, that's huge. That is knowing God. That's a part of knowing God, listening to the Lord and giving time for that 
You can do that while you're driving. You can do that in perfect quiet. You can do that in the shower, but listening to God. Breathe. You have to breathe the natural to stay alive. It's great to breathe in the Spirit of God. It's something I do nearly every day, if not a few times a day. Ephesians 5 talks about this. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So instead of, instead of getting drunk every day, you can get filled with the Spirit every day. I, I do this often. Usually every time, before I come up here every Sunday for sure, I say, I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill me up all over again. I breathe you in. I breathe you in. Fill me to the full. There were only four people in the scriptures that, that were full of the Holy Spirit. Four. The rest were partial. Perhaps. I don't know. It just says that there were four that were full. But I can be one of those full of the Holy Spirit people. You can be one of those that stay full of the Holy Spirit. I receive you by faith. Fill me all over again. I need a, fre a refresh. When I think of um, my car, I got to fill that character up about once a week with gas. It's not a one-time filling. It's a multiple-time filling. And I'm the same. I need the Holy Spirit. I need him. I need to be filled over and over again with him. And then to follow his spirit. It says in Romans 8 that if you're a child of God, you're led by the spirit of God. So what, when I'm listening, when I'm talking, when I'm quiet, or whether he just comes on the scene and shows me something, Am I following him? And he's given us a conscience. I think the, our conscience, and that's a whole other message, is really tied to the spirit of God. And we don't want to ever violate that. So whatever God is showing you not to do, don't do that. There's a green light most of the time. But then there are our conscience and the red lights like, nope, don't go there. Don't say that. Or if you said that, apologize. Repent of that. I do that too. You ready to do that? You say stuff and you weren't even, even thinking about it. But then you feel your conscience and you feel the spirit say, oh man, shouldn't have said that. Go to that person, apologize. That's being led by the spirit. Man, that keeps things clean and wonderful. And relationships can stay whole and healthy. So we want to follow the spirit of God. And then there's a big one for me. When I stumbled into this one of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 29, 27 as well. He says, come to me. It's like an open invitation. This is the king of the universe. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. You'll find rest for your souls. And then take my yoke upon you. It's easy and it's light. So we can come to him at any point Open invitation, day, night, midnight, noon, six in the morning. If you're weary, heavy laden, and I do it not just for those two reasons. I'll just come to exchange. I'll give him what I have, which is maybe anxiety, stress, worry, doubt, hopelessness. Whatever you have that you don't like, you can come to Jesus, give those to him, and then receive what he has. Rest, peace, ease for your soul. Man, that's something I think um, that has been a, it's been a life changer for me, honestly, it's especially with anxiety, because I struggled with anxiety in a major fashion for many, many years of my life, probably 30 years. I struggled with anxiety. My hair was all falling out. 
I couldn't gain a pound. It's like, what is going on? I'm not sleeping at night. It's anxiety. So I started coming to Jesus. So I give you these thoughts. I give you this, you know, hamster wheel that's going, 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 doesn't stop of concern about so many things. I give those to you, and I receive your peace and your rest. I make an exchange, make an exchange with you, and Jesus has done that in my life. Now I'm one of the least anxious people I know. But that became a, a habit on the inside of me to, to do, you know, what you do daily makes up who you are as a whole. You know, in your natural life as well. If you're going to invest, if you invested $100 a day, imagine that, your whole life, how rich would you be? You'd be, if you invested it well. You'd be very rich because you would make an investment, a deposit every single day. In the spirit, in our devotion to Jesus, what we do daily with him grows who we are in this relationship that becomes wealthy and robust and huge. If I'm daily coming to him, talking to him, listening to him, choosing him, and then, of course, this one goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, I'm going to read. As Jeremiah puts it, I found your words and I ate them, and they became a joy to me. That's what Jeremiah said. He found the words of God and he ate them. That's a metaphor. It's a, it's a spiritual parallel. We can eat the words of God. When we dwell in the Psalms and the Proverbs and the words of God and let them meditate on them, as David said, day and night becomes so sweet and also helps my thinking and know what's true and what's not true. The word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And here is found truth that agrees with the Holy Spirit. So when we read and meditate, if I can do that every day, my life changes. I encourage you to do those things and not to skip those days of not reading. If it's just a, if you're so busy, you just have time for a verse. Get that word in there. Think about it. I, sometimes I'll just, I'll listen to it while I'm driving. You can do that too. Open up your Bible app and just listen away to the scriptures. Let the words roll over you. All right, that's enough. I want you to be fully devoted to Jesus. And I want to be fully devoted to Jesus. Let's do this together. Is that okay? I mean, you can't go wrong. There's not one way to go wrong with being fully devoted to Jesus. And the simple, pure devotion to him. Not letting complications take over. Not letting, being totally intolerant of crazy things that don't line up with the word. That don't line up with what God has revealed already. So Lord, we just want to say thank you that we get to know you and be known by you and that you speak to us and that we can hear. You said your sheep hear you. They hear your voice and we are all your sheep. Thank you that we can hear your voice. Thank you that we get to know you, that eternal life is in knowing you. Lord, I want to thank you for every single person that's watching and every person that's here. Thank you for their individual lives and that you're speaking and leading them. Lord, I pray that we would all grow in passion and devotion with you personally, experientially. Lord, may we be aware of your words and what you're saying. 
Fill us with your spirit afresh and anew. We just even do that right now. We just open up to you. Fill us, Holy Spirit, afresh and anew right now. Just like we breathe. We just breathe in the spirit of the living God. The spirit means breath, actually. So we breathe in you, Holy Spirit, and receive you into every part of our being to do what we cannot do, to change us and transform us, to help us walk in your ways, to understand your word, to be filled with your life. And Lord, I pray that we would all have this in a good way, like this bubble around us that is impervious to the crazy teachings of the world and of the devil. All the craftiness of the enemy would not touch our hearts, would not touch our minds, our lives. We want to be so set apart to you. And you said, Lord, that you mark those that are your own. Holy Spirit, would you mark all of us as yours? Every single one of us. We don't care. We we want to not study, be concerned, or care about the mark of the beast. We want your mark, Lord. Put your mark upon us, that we would be yours all the way. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And Lord, where there's any sin in us, we confess it. We get it out. And part of that exchange is confessing our sin. Owning it, getting rid of it, and applying the blood of Jesus to ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for repentance. Thank you for the beauty of your forgiveness. Lord, I pray for a wonderful week for all of us. May we have experiences with you. May your word be alive. And I pray that other lives will be touched through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.